Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The This Is What You Need, I'll Give You What You Need edition. As I discuss what the Bengals need to do to reclaim the AFC North and ultimately return to the Super Bowl with Robert Weintraub, who covers the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine and one of the best NFL analytics websites, ftnfantasy.com. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the best photos of 2023. At the top of the Bengals.com homepage, one of the categories you can click is photos, which connects you to a wide variety of photo galleries. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out the one titled Best of 2023 Season. Team photographer Ryan Meyer has selected the top photos he took during the past season, and his work is amazing. Some of my favorites include Joe Burrow on one knee, firing an imaginary arrow into the sky, the upper torso of Trey Hendrickson emerging from smoke to take the field before a game, and Cam Taylor Britt dancing in the locker room after a Bengals victory. There are more than 200 photos in all, and Ryan's work is spectacular. Be sure to check out the best photos of 2023. Now, time to get to this week's guest. Robert Weintraub covers the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine and wrote the Bengals' season preview chapter for this year's edition of the FTN Football Almanac, formerly known as the Football Outsiders Almanac. Robert writes about the team honestly and critically, but it's worth pointing out that he is a diehard Bengals fan. Robert, you wrote about the roller coaster ride that was this past season on a weekly basis for Cincinnati Magazine. This is a Bengals podcast, so let's start with the positives. What were they, in your view, this year? Uh, there were any. I'm trying to remember <laughs> off the top of my head if there were any. Yeah, I, you know, it, obviously it started on such a funk with Joe's injury in training camp, and then sort of seemed to have all these hairpin turns of optimism and pessimism sometimes, you know, in the same quarter, it was such a bizarre season. Uh, and so much of it wrapped around Joe's uh, overall health. And then of course, when he went out, I thought that was one of the main positives, the development of Jake Browning and the way the team rallied around him in a lot of ways, the way they showed that they're not just a quarterback, uh, you know, an all pro quarterback level quarterback who could, you know, carry the team on his back. They had uh, quite a bit to offer there just beyond uh, what Joe could offer. So I think that was one of the main developments. But overall, I think you have to say it was mostly a negative season just because of the expectations and because of what we see going on, not just in the greater AFC, but in the AFC North. Anytime the rest of the division makes the playoffs and you're the one team excluded, even with a winning record, that uh, that feels bad, um, and you know it felt good to see the Browns lose their game and the Steelers lose their game. In some ways, that was the ultimate uh, positives of the season. But um, 
I think overall, we just as soon flush 2023 down the memory hole and uh, begin afresh in 2024 with a healthy Joe Burrow playing 17 games plus a few more, hopefully, in the postseason as we've gotten used to. It's it's hard to believe, but we've gotten so used to playoff deep playoff runs in Cincinnati that uh, when they don't happen for whatever reason, uh, you're really left with a sour taste in your mouth. And, you know, in some ways that's a positive too. It's just the bar has been raised on what a successful season is in Cincinnati. And that's, that can be nothing but good. The expectations are higher. And after so many years of really low expectations in Cincinnati, the idea that uh, a season where you just missed the playoffs, despite a winning record is viewed as a really kind of a terrible disappointment Overall, kind of a good thing if you can if you can look at it from the uh, glass half full uh, mm-hmm. method of looking at things. I think that's probably how most Bengals fans would look at it. Maybe the one other thing I would throw in is that they managed to have a winning record despite Burrow's injuries against statistically yeah. the most difficult schedule ever. Of all time, if you can believe it. Yes, the uh, the numbers that we crunch at what used to be football outsiders. And is now ftnfantasy.com. So go to that uh, web address for all your advanced statistical needs. Um, uh, I'll spare you the uh, the way it went down in terms of the name change. But uh, indeed, it was the most difficult schedule ever played in since DVOA, which is the efficiency stat that we use, has been tabulated going back to the early 80s. So that should tell you. I mean, obviously, we mentioned just a minute ago that three teams in the division made the playoffs and Baltimore in particular had a historic season playing them twice, obviously was uh, something that tipped the scales in the, uh, the difficult schedule department for sure. Uh, And, you know, you look back at those games, Burrow was semi-healthy in one and they lost by three points and were ahead when he went out for the season and the other, it's not like uh, you can come away with those games and think that the Ravens were some kind of, uh, way better than the Bengals, obviously. If Burrow had played and been healthy in both those games, you like their chances. So uh, despite playing that extremely difficult schedule all the way through, and of course that included the 49ers who they defeated handily, uh, and you know, the, the Steelers and the Browns who had good seasons DVOA-wise, uh, four games there. Um, yeah, Bengals were obviously in all those games. And that just tells you, like you said, they came away with a 9-8 and eight record. They lost their quarterback. They showed development in certain other areas, and they had to play such a difficult schedule. The only issue is, of course, those three teams in the division aren't going anywhere. We'll see how that plays out next year. But nevertheless, you have to like their chances going forward, assuming that Burrow is healthy. Robert, it's very interesting because in the FTN Football Almanac prior to the season, you wrote about the Bengals building a team that could beat Kansas City, specifically could beat Kansas City to get to the Super Bowl, did that make it harder or does that make it harder to beat Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh? Yeah, I, I think there is a bit of a taking your eye off the ball that was right in front of you, so to speak, uh, in Cincinnati. It's, it's hard to blame them when you go to the championship game twice in a row against the same team and you see that their team is obviously built in a similar way with the superstar quarterback trying to get a young fleet defense that doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh, and fill in around that you know from there it made sense for them to maybe not explicitly but you know implicitly try and do the same thing and counterattack what they saw against Kansas City they figured that was going to be the team they'd run up against there was 
obviously healthy respect, I think, for the other three divisional teams. But in a way, they wound up, at least this season, kind of building a team that was a little light in the loafers, shall we say, didn't have enough rear end, perhaps, for the uh, for the division that they're in. And I think if they had to do it over again, they might have adjusted the way they built certain aspects of the defense slightly. I mean, there's only so much you can do, and you have guys on the roster that you were expecting to fill those roles that maybe didn't step up enough or got hurt. You know, things happen in the NFL. But I think there'll probably be a bit of a readjustment this season or this offseason in terms of let's go back to doing what, you know, Marvin Lewis always did first and foremost, shall we say, which was build your team to win your division first, compete against those six games, and then, you know, whatever happens after that, we'll take that uh, as it comes. But I, I do think they'll try and look, you know, at the Ravens and the Browns in particular and say, all right, they ran over us this year. Uh, how do we avoid that in 2024? Visiting with Robert Weintraub, who writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine. You can follow him on Twitter or X, if you have embraced the name change, at Rob Wine, W-E-I-N. Let's talk about the five-game stretch where Joe Burrow is healthy and the Bengals went 4-1, and one, were pretty dominant in their wins over San Francisco and Buffalo. I tend to think that those were the real Bengals, but in those games, were their weaknesses just temporarily hidden? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to a point, you know, I mean, I think that's the case anytime you have a team operating on all cylinders, so to speak, or a team that looks really good because of what you expect. In this case, their offense and Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's what they do. I mean, that's what a great quarterback does. He masquerades other elements of your team that might not be as strong because the other team is so busy trying to deal with what they the Bengals did so well. I mean, it, it sounds like that's a negative. Yeah, it masquerades some of their some of their flaws, but that's kind of the point. I mean, you know, especially after Joe gets this big money, there's always going to be an element of the team that isn't hundred percent or where you want it to be. It's not a you know, game changing at every single unit on the field. That's just not possible. So, you know, you build to your strengths in this case, Joe Burrow. And as you saw, let's say in the 49er game, you know, they dominated the game through their passing attack. Uh, and because they were so effective at it, that opened up other areas. It made their areas of quote unquote weakness, you know, kind of less so because the 49ers were chasing the game in a lot of ways they had a much better tackling game and a much better sort of defensive uh, defense against the pass in that game than they ordinarily would, especially, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter when they needed it. Um, you know, the 49ers made plays in those games. They did in that game. They threw for a lot of yards. Brock Purdy played very well. But as you say, he didn't really think about that aspect of the game because he made a couple of mistakes and he did so because he was playing in a way he wasn't accustomed to playing from behind, chasing the game, chasing Joe Burrow. That's the way the Bengals want to play. So uh, yeah, it, it, the answer to the question is yes, but that's by design. Uh, unfortunately, of course, when your quarterback then gets hurt uh, or, you know, and as we saw before those truly healthy games plays in a limited capacity, obviously those flaws come to the fore, not so easy to disguise. And then you have problems and you have to adjust your game plan and uh, kind of eke out victories as best you can. Jake Browning in a couple of those games masked flaws in the same way, that Burrow did, uh, you know, especially against the Vikings. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of the way of the NFL roster building, uh, Tau of roster building, I guess you'd mm -hmm. say. Uh, that's kind of what you have to do. Play to your strength, maximize it, and 
work around the, the portions of your team that are not so good and, and hope that the other team is you know behind and can't take advantage of what you don't do as well. Let's talk defense. What do the analytics like DVOA tell us about the Bengals' defensive woes and, and what needs to be fixed? Yeah, uh, the analytics uh, meet the eye test, I think you'd say. Uh, they played pretty poorly, especially against the run, um, but also in a lot of areas against the pass. One thing that was curious was that they were actually top 10 against number one wide receivers in the past hmm. uh, and played well against, uh, I should say, they were 13th against number one and top 10 against number three receivers. 32nd uh, in the league against number two wide receivers, which shows you that the depth was not there. Cheeto Ouzier's, you know, comeback from injury was obviously an issue. Um, injuries to uh, Cam Britt, you know, that obviously played a, a huge role in that because the depth was affected after that. And just, you know, the communications issues of having such a young secondary played itself out in a way that other teams took advantage of the matchups where they found it. They were also poor against defending tight ends, extremely poor. So tight ends did a number, as has happened in the past against Cincinnati. Um, and their run defense was poor. They're, they actually had a fairly strong pass rush, especially in what we call adjusted sack rate. They actually uh, were top 10, better than Pittsburgh, better than Cleveland, teams that are you know, supposed to have this uh, all-dominant pass rush. I think overall, though, the pressure rates kind of brought them back toward those teams, which is why you saw, uh, you know, when Trey Hendrickson basically wasn't storming the quarterback and getting to him, they were lacking in that area. They still require, you know, more consistent pass rush or at least pressure, not necessarily sacks, but pressure from other elements of that uh, front four in the passing game. And then the running game, even with DJ Reader at full health out there, was it was a disaster uh, in a lot of ways. It was bad up front, and there the advanced statistics, which we separate into the line play versus open field and second level yards, bad across the board. Uh, the tackling was poor after being so good, really, in the back half of 21 and all of 2022. It took a, a step backward. Hard to really put a you know a pinpoint on why that happened exactly, other than young players, lack of practice time, and just you know, sort of the way the games unfolded and, and something to do with their opposition. So I think there'll be a real uh, sort of come to Jesus moment in the offseason. Luan Rumo is going to get back to basics, get these guys tackling again. And, you know, just that aspect, that improved so much from Cincinnati from 2020 and 2021 into the playoff run. And then in 2022, you know, they didn't do a lot different in those years schematically at all what they did do is tackle more efficiently and much more effectively. If they can get back to that level of tackling with a little bit more beef inside and we'll see what happens with DJ reader and, or his replacement, um, you know, that could, that'll be a real area. Uh, they'll, they'll shine a spotlight on, I think defensively and look to get Cincinnati back to where they were, at least approach where they were uh, in 2022. I thought Jordan battle had a very solid rookie year. The Bengals certainly are not about to give up on Dax Hill. Can we assume that that will be a much better safety duo with a year of experience and NFL coaching under their belt? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way it can't be. You know, I mean, barring injury, uh, you see it all over the league. Young players go up and down. Um, that's just the nature of it. Uh, the defense they were asked to play was very complicated. It's part of the reason they drafted Jordan Battle. Uh, which was something of a surprise given some of their other needs at the time in the draft last year. 
was that they thought that he could handle it. He's obviously studied at Alabama, Alabama under the master, Nick Saban, and he showed that he could. It, it wasn't that he's such a, you know, more gifted football player than Nick Scott or other guys out there, but, you know, he can comprehend what's needed on a play-to-play level, and he understands where he needs to be. Where he needs to be vis-a-vis his teammates is, you know, not necessarily under his control, and that's the kind of thing that really has to improve, and I think it only can improve with, more reps under their belt in communication, passing off uh, receivers, knowing where to be and and telling the other guys in the secondary and the back seven who to guard and where to be on the field during any given play. You know, these are the kind of things that are just experience. It's just playing and playing and playing. And there's, you kind of had to be thrown into the fire and take your lumps. That's just kind of, how it works in the NFL, very few guys come in and are instant stars that have no, you know, no improvement required, no seasoning required. They're just that great. Battle was a good, you know, good story and played very well for a third rounder. But, you know, he made mistakes, too. So it's just a question of getting those guys more time together. There's no point in in pulling the plug on them, either one of him or, or Hill or even Nick Scott, really. Uh, you could upgrade in, as your third safety if you want. But, you know, that. That might be not the best place to put your dollars in free agency if you're looking to uh, upgrade the rest of the team. I think they'll just need to, uh, you know, to get into the film room and know where each guy is meant to be. And I think that's where we saw, you know, the lack of Jesse Bates, of course, but Von Bell in particular, just as a leader and somebody who knew exactly where to go and more important, where to tell the other guys where to go, even at after the snap or right at the snap, you saw it a lot with bell pointing and telling guys you're coming here here's what they're trying to do don't let them do it you know with hand signals and barking at his teammates uh they missed vaughn quite a bit um and i think you know there's no reason to think that battle can't develop into a von bell like player now that he's had a year under his belt and can take on that same role i think that's why they drafted him and i think he had a very promising step in that direction as a rookie so the bengal's biggest defensive need is what? <laughs> uh, well, I think the obvious is when you say biggest, because literally and figuratively, it's that run stuffer inside, assuming DJ Reader is not available, not a Bengal, who knows what the status will be given his uh, unfortunate injury. You really hate to see uh, an injury that he's had already once in his career. And so difficult to come back from, especially as he pushes 30. And, um, you know, it's just that kind of leg injury is difficult for anybody, much less somebody who weighs uh, 300 plus pounds. So we shall see what we shall see in in DJ's case. But I think they'll definitely be looking at somebody else uh, to help, you know, buck up the interior run defense first and foremost. Um, Even with Reader there, it suffered. Guy, they've, they've really need a three tech and a sort of nose tackle slash uh, zero tech guy to be able to handle two blockers at once, penetrate upfield, get some pressure on the quarterback, make plays in the backfield. The Bengals were terrible in uh, both stuffed, what we call it uh, FTN fancy stuffed, which is basically stopping short yardage and also making uh, plays for negative uh, yards uh, against the run. They were terrible in both of that. And that a lot of times comes down to not having penetrators up front. I think they'll definitely look to improve on that either in the draft or free agency or both perhaps, Um, you know, it comes down to how you're going to approach that. You want to get somebody in free agency. So you don't 
put yourself in a position where you have to get a guy like that in the draft, especially picking 18th. It's a little dodgy. Who's going to be left. You never know for sure. And you never want to put yourself in a position where you have to go for a certain uh, position in the draft, obviously. So I think they'll look to a guy like a Grover Stewart, maybe of Indianapolis, uh, Tyre Tart, who had some issues in Tennessee before uh, uh, signing on with the Texans late in the year, some AFC South guys there. Um, or, you know, some other, other possibilities throughout the, uh, the league, but guys who they know can occupy space and up those interior run numbers that they were so porous at last season. Still to come with Robert, what the Bengals should do with T Higgins and if they need to upgrade the tight end position. But first, a quick reminder that the Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Our guest is Robert Weintraub, who writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine and other publications. Let's turn to offense. Joe Mixon had more than 1,400 combined rushing and receiving yards. He scored 12 touchdowns. He never fumbles. I can tell you from being in the locker room that he is a leader, and that is a significant factor. Should he be the Bengals' number one running back in 2024? Well, let me put it this way. I I definitely think he should be on the Bengals, yes, and he should be there, you know, their starter at least um you can make a strong argument that he could give up some of his carries and let it be much more of a democratic backfield than it was this year not that joe was the one saying give me it all to me uh, i know it's a coach's decision but um the idea that they're looking to upgrade to uh, derrick henry or uh, saquon barkley i hear all kinds of names out there is to me ridiculous i mean mixon especially for the money they paid him had an outstanding year. If you match his numbers up or advanced numbers up against, say, Derrick Henry, Mixon is way on top. And a lot of that is because he had an excellent year uh, catching passes coming out of the backfield, which is something that's really always been a strong part of his game and has been somewhat underutilized uh, in Cincinnati. Part of the reason is obviously they have such a plethora of pass catchers that may change in the near future. And, and holding on to a guy like Mixon, who's an excellent receiver still, um, makes all the sense in the world. So I, I think you'll see, I, I, for one, think Joe should definitely stay. Um, and I definitely think that Chase Brown should get more, you know, more love. Obviously he had his rookie, he was injured. There's a lot of reasons why he didn't kind of break through until near the end of the season, but you could definitely see in our charts where again, the open field and second level yards, which for a lot of the season were very low in the bottom third of the league for Cincinnati, in large part because Mixon, for all his good traits, is not really a breakaway threat. Once Brown was introduced and got into the game, uh, got into the offense, those numbers went way up and they wound up finishing in the in the mid-teens, the, in the middle of this, uh, the uh, pack there. So clearly he had an effect if they can stay healthy and be a one-two punch from the beginning of the year and even get a third back in there. I think if this, uh, what some of the more successful running teams in the league show is that you can never have too many running backs. And if your line is strong enough and, you know, it blocks in the scheme that is, uh, you know, very favorable, as I guess you would say, to multiple backs and multiple kinds of backs, you know, get somebody else in there. You want to upgrade on a Travion Williams? I can I can see that happening. And I think they will draft a running back for sure at some point. But uh, to me, the the 
mix and brown combination was plenty good enough to go back to in 2024 for sure. What should they do with T Higgins? What will they do with T Higgins? Uh, well, I think in near term, the answers are the one and the same. Uh, he will be franchised and they should franchise him. Um, they have a year of control at a manageable cost. You don't give that up. Um, you want to sign him theoretically to a long-term deal and, and keep him happy, but you know, maybe that's not in the best interest of the team. You never really know for sure. Obviously he had some injuries this year. Uh, we go back to the AJ green situation. Maybe it would toward the tail end of his career when it was like, well, we should reward him, give him a long-term contract uh, when, you know, Joe Burrow's rookie year. And they said, no, let's just franchise him, keep him for the one year, see how it plays out. Turned out he wasn't really, you know, worthy of the long-term deal after that. And, you know, I, it's not exactly the same. T's a lot younger, obviously, but things happen. Maybe T gets, you know, another season where he's injury hit and you decide that we can't spend that kind of money on a second receiver with Jamar Chase, obviously coming up for a rich extension. And you want to put the money somewhere else. It's, it's difficult to say. It's not that T doesn't deserve it, but I think in this case, another year T in a managed fixed cost that you know what's going to have you know you'll have him in the fold, and that way you don't have to worry about finding another number two receiver of his quality, which is very hard to find, despite the fact there's so many receivers coming into the league every year who who are good or, or uh, you know, have the potential for being outstanding. Um, I think in this case, the right thing to do and what the Bengals will do are the same. They will franchise T and keep him around for 2024 for sure, and then, you know, kind of worry about the future, push it down the road a little bit, uh, which is fine for the time being. You retweeted something last week that caught my eye. The last eight playoff teams had something in common. Stellar tight end play. Do the Bengals need stellar tight end play? Yeah. Is that retweeted or re-X'd? What, what is the terminology <laughs> now? I'm not even sure. Uh, Redisseminated. <laughs> yes, exactly. I put it out there after uh, hearing it from someone else. I think, uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's any question they need an upgrade. Uh, stellar is in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. Um, you know, they it was just fine in 2022 with Hayden Hurst. I, I don't know if I'd call him stellar, but it was good enough for what they had and what they needed. Um, you can make the argument with the offense kind of reframing itself, perhaps away from concentrating on such a three wide out attack with the likely departure of Tyler Boyd that you want to get a tight end who is better, uh, and and you know, puts more stress on the defense in ways that we haven't seen in Cincinnati in some time. Um, you know, Brock Bowers is not going to last till number 18. Sorry for all those people fantasizing about that, but uh, seems highly unlikely. And the Bengals aren't going to trade up for him either, I would doubt. Uh, so in that sense, I think they will go after somebody in free agency, perhaps like a Dalton Schultz, who was a target last year uh, and decided to go to Houston. He's still a free agent. You know, they got him on a one-year deal. If he wants to stay with the Texans, there's plenty of other guys out there. Hunter Henry in New England uh, leaps to mind. Noah Fant, perhaps, who's been somewhat, you know, underwhelming, uh, but has extreme amount of talent. Um, you know, I think the, there's no question that they what they want to do is have a better pass-catching threat. Now, what they did have last year was, you know, a way to work both Tanner Hudson and Drew Sample into the attack, and they found ways to do it. I think that spoke highly for Brian Callahan, who congratulations to him. Now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans and much deserved. Uh, and I think that caught the eye of a lot of people around the league is 
you know, they, they managed to take a couple of guys who, you know, didn't have much profile and, and much experience in, in doing things positively for an offense, let's say in Hudson and sample and uh, made them both work in ways that helped the offense down the stretch with a backup quarterback in there. Uh, and Dan pitcher, obviously taking over for Brian is uh, the natural choice and, and nothing's going to change in that respect. So, you know, I don't think they need to, necessarily rework how they run their offense entirely if they get in somebody uh who threatens the defense down the seam a little bit more than the guys they have last year but they desperately need that sort of downfield element of attack more so than what they had last year and with a quarterback like joe burrow who's so accurate and can really make a player like that you know better than he actually is for lack of a better phrase um you know, you find somebody like a Hunter Henry or Dalton Schultz, and then you really got something there um, where offenses will be hard pressed to stop all their threats when they're all on the field. Let's assume another team throws a bunch of money at Jonah Williams to be the starting left or right tackle on that other team. Should the Bengals next right tackle be a high draft pick or an affordable free agent? Well, that's a great question in terms of, you know, who's available and for what cost. And we don't know that yet for sure. Uh, I go back to the point I made earlier, where you don't want to go into the draft saying, oh, we definitely want to draft a tackle at number 18, and we're just going to take the best one left. That seldom uh, winds up <laughs> working out well for your team. It's how you wind up with Billy Price. No offense against Billy Price, but that's what happened. They desperately need a center, and they drafted one who is not uh, worthy of that draft status and that could happen i mean in 18 you're in sort of a no man's land there if they were you know picking eighth or something if if jake browning couldn't play and they wound up uh, at a top 10 pick and you could sort of guarantee yourself one of those uh, elite tackles coming out this year in the draft that would be a different conversation but because that's not the case you don't know if uh Waga, uh who's you know you always want the polynesian guys on your team don't get me wrong um but uh, you don't know if he's going to be there. You don't know what level of player is going to be there. I think they'll probably, assuming they do lose Jonah, which we don't know for sure yet either, um, they'll look to replace him in free agency, at least to a, a point where you have somebody you know can come in and play. I, I think you know they, they like Cody Ford, but I think they want to go a little bit better than that. Maybe Mike Unwendu of the Patriots is a little too good or will wind up being a little too pricey for them. That remains to be seen. Uh, um, somebody in between, like a Jermaine Oluwemoyenu. I can't even say his name. Oluwemoyenu. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> uh, I, I breezed through the uh, the Polynesian name, but I had trouble with Jermaine. Sorry about that, buddy. Um, but somebody like that, who not only is you know quality enough to play, but isn't going to break the bank, but also has position versatility and can play on both sides of the line. I think somebody like that makes sense. And then, obviously, if there's somebody you like in the draft either in the first round or, or later, you bring somebody in there and groom him to become the uh, the starter sooner or later at right tackle, um, assuming, again, that Jonah does depart. One more topic about the Bengals, and then one question about you. The Bengals' topic <laughs> is this. We mentioned Brian Callahan moving on to Tennessee and Dan Pitcher getting promoted from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator. There's a chance for a restart of sorts. Is there anything obvious the Bengals should be thinking about with this change? Well, I think what it's less about like just, you know, running the ball more or, you know, kind of de dedicating themselves to the run more. I and mean, I, I think 
you know, that that all that kind of thing that the fans like to talk about in terms of run pass ratio often comes down to the game script, the opponent, who you know, what's going on at that particular who's healthy, who's not. It's very easy to sit here and say, oh, yeah, Dan Pitcher's going to come in and try and run the ball more. But who really knows what's going to happen? Uh, I think what they but I do think there's a way to make the team. And I, I don't want to say this to, to make it sound like Joe Burrow is not. Uh, worthy of doing this because he certainly can but you want to make it so that every game doesn't rely so much on Joe Burrow's excellence and you know when 2022 uh, last year they were so good down the stretch especially um, they didn't rely on Burrow to do it all all the time and I think you know it becomes a crutch with teams with great players at quarterback that it's you know we we got joe let's let him figure it out and like you were saying before about masking what you don't do well i think what you want to do is especially on offense get yourself in a situation where you do so many things well that the uh, teams that the opposing defense really has no option uh that works for them and you always wind up in a situation where you're either you know in a lead in the second half or you know right there you're never playing from behind. You're never relying so much on Burrow and his talents to bail you out of things. You want to get in a situation all the time where, you know, we can do it if we need to. Joe's obviously good enough, but let's let some of the other guys, let's let some of the other areas of attack carry the weight here. Let's let more of a short passing game. Let's let the running game dictate how uh, defenses play us. And I think going under center more, which they started to do before and after, you know, before and around Burroughs injury. And certainly when you saw Jake Browning come in certain elements of the, uh, of the attack under center, rather than the preferred shotgun method that Burrow obviously is great at and prefers, but uh, I think they'll work in a lot more of the uh, under center, which allows them to kind of run, run or pass out of similar formations, puts a lot more stress on the defense and gives them a lot more things to guess at. And it just makes so much of your offense work better and uh, and look better. And I think that's where you'll probably see, at least, at, you know, depending on Dan Pitcher's thoughts about that, I don't really know for sure, but I think that's what you the Bengals were trending toward before Burrow got hurt and, you know, kind of used Jake Browning's games as proof of concept that it really can work with a guy who's less limited as a passer than Burrow, but, you know, could move, unlike Joe in some of those games. And could, you know, put defenses under different kinds of stresses than Burrow can. I think that's what they want to work toward going forward. And obviously, if they need to rely on Joe just to bail us out of a game late with his magic right arm, they always have that in the back, in their back pocket. But you don't want to rely on that so much. He continues to ooze awesomeness out of every pore. He certainly does. you Absolutely. famously said. All right, we've got a few <laughs> minutes left. And I want to talk about your labor of love, the NYC 1000. Now, I grew up in New York State in Lakewood, New York. And when some people hear that, they assume that I grew up close to New York City. That's not the case. Lakewood is closer to Cincinnati than it is to Manhattan. Uh, my family had three acres and two barns. So I, I grew up in a very rural environment. And yet, I love the NYC 1000, because it's great sports writing. Explain for people that have no idea what I'm talking about, your project, the NYC 1000. A labor of love might uh, might undersell it. It's the, it's a Herculean labor of love, uh, perhaps <laughs> a labor of insanity, we shall see. But yes, uh, I have a sub stack, and it's uh, dedicated to counting down 
the top 1,000 games, matches, races of all sporting events of every stripe in uh, the history of New York City. Now, the conceit has had to have actually happened in New York City or the greater New York City area. So, uh, you know, Super Bowl three involving the Jets uh, playing the Colts in Miami, a famous game. But that doesn't count. It has to happen in New York, where I am from. Uh, I grew I was born in the city and grew up just outside it. So that's that's my hometown. Uh, you and I, of course, share the Syracuse connection. So we uh, have that central New York, but Syracuse doesn't count either. It has to be in New York City. And uh, yeah, I just got into it because I just, I don't know, I've always been enamored of obviously sports and, and sports history. I'm a big fan of the New York teams, Bengals uh, being the lone exception. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I like to start reading about things that happened, not just before I was born, but way before I was born. And, and a lot of what we think of as just pure sports history actually conflates with actual history, for lack of a better word, and certainly uh, municipal history. And if you're interested at all in what New York has gone through as a city in developing, you know, low these many years from, a, you know, from a almost pastoral background to a, uh, where they were in the late 1800s, post-Civil War era, when really sports began in New York, uh, all the way through its, you know, rise and rise to the number one city in the world. Sports has really mirrored that, and you see that in the in the in the action that's taken place there. And so many, not just great games, but great athletes, uh, great figures of all stripes who have come through and have uh, performed in these, you know, magical palaces that they uh, that they have in New York, Yankee Stadium and Madison Square Garden, and, and various others. So. Um, it, I took it upon myself. I started with, uh, I thought I would just do a hundred perhaps. Um, and then and it realized, you know, you, if you're going to do this, do it right. And, uh, it seemed to me that uh, a thousand was exactly the, uh, round number I needed. So I, I have a six point scoring method, uh, you know, kind of determining the importance of the game, the drama involved, the historical figures involved, uh, whether or not it, you know, registered. Uh, outside of New York, um, these kind of things. And then I write a short, you know, essay about each game doesn't don't go into super detail necessarily, but it gives me a chance not only to uh, go back in time with the reader and, and you know, kind of talk about some of the interesting tidbits, but also, you know, bring forth some of the great writers in particular who covered these games in the golden era of newspapers and magazines um, you know, as we've seen with the, the recent death of Sports Illustrated and the written media, print media in general, uh, physical print media anyway, um, it's really a lost art and something that I particularly am, uh, having been a long time, obviously, fan of Sports Illustrated in particular, feel terrible about. So the more I can, you know, kind of do my part to remind people of what uh, great stuff that not just Sports Illustrated, but all the New York uh, newspaper writers brought to the enjoyment of the events by their coverage. That's a big part of it, too. So I try and get that in there as well and uh, and bring to light some long forgotten and maybe some, you know, not so recently forgotten games and events uh, that took place in New York. It's just a lot of fun and hopefully a lot of fun for people who read it. It is a lot of fun to read. I'm having a great time and we're only in the 800s. So <laughs> there's a wow. long way to go and a lot left to enjoy. We're about to run out of time on this Zoom call. So I will make sure that folks know how they can get the NYC 1000. Robert, I always appreciate your time. Thanks for the insight and look forward to talking Bengals again sometime soon. Anytime for you, Dan, you know that buddy. Thanks so much. If you would like to check out the NYC 1000, and you really should, 
do a search for NYC 1000 Substack. That will take you to a page where you can sign up for a free subscription and have the latest stories sent directly to your inbox. Or if you say no thanks to a subscription, you'll be taken to the homepage where you can find all of the stories that Robert has written so far. They really are quite remarkable. And if you're interested in finding analytical content about the Bengals and the NFL, the data that used to be found at Football Outsiders can now be found at ftnfantasy.com. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet, designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.